0: this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com uh my name is tyler mon sam dykstra is in new york city i am recording a podcast outdoors never done this before and i'm assuming anybody within earshot of me has been wondering for the last like hour what is this dude doing just talking loudly to himself in his backyard
1: i imagine this is like that scene in once upon a <laughs> time in hollywood where leo dicaprio's character is just practicing his lines to himself yeah in his yeah. pool basically Except you're doing the Colorado version of that and sitting in a lawn chair and just speaking (laughs) to the trees. The
0: 2020 version uh, at a uh, moderately sized uh, house instead of in my 1960s Hollywood palatial estate in the pool. Yeah, but basically uh, but yeah, it's, it's the much same, same, same otherwise. Yeah. And we're we're in the same in terms of our attractiveness. Obviously, me and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, so hey, welcome into this week's episode. Uh, gonna try to be a little bit less depressed sounding. I am this week. I actually did not listen to last week's episode because thinking about it. Um, I I eh, I probably wasn't the most dynamic host of a podcast. It's been a scary couple of weeks for all of us.
1: Yeah, but uh, I think we're kind of all in the, the time now where and we had a couple of people reach out to us in the past week, you know, thanking us, and, and this is not to pat ourselves on the back, but just speaking to the general culture of, hey, thanks for the distraction for, you know, an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, however long last week's podcast went for. Uh, and that's where we're kind of are as a society. We're still in that mode everybody needs to be in this mode and I can't stress this enough you know be stay at home stay where you're safe make sure your family is safe um, keep your distance from others do all that kind of stuff to make sure that we are all going to get through this together uh, but apart for obvious reasons Um, but you know we all want that distraction. We all want to be safe in our homes and, and thinking about other things from time to time. Um, so that's what we're going to bring you this week. Tyler came up for the, with the idea for this week. All credit to him uh, about looking back on some of the things we missed in the offseason because during the offseason, it, it might seem like we have a lot of downtime, but we're still trying to turn out new things, trying to get things either in review for the previous season or looking forward to the following season. Uh, And sometimes we miss some stories and and this week we want to go back and make sure we cover some of the stuff we missed and think that you guys will really enjoy hearing about and also going on and reading because all of this stuff is still on MILB.com for you to read. Uh, So this was a fun one. We've already recorded the interviews, um, but hopefully this can be that distraction that we know you're looking for. We know we're we're looking for ourselves in recording the show and putting it up. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, hopefully a different tone this week
0: and uh, don't worry I know the breeze picked up in this segment don't worry (laughs) actually uh it's it's a lovely day here there will not be wind in my microphone for the remainder of this show because uh, sam noted we uh, already recorded it and uh it's been gorgeous although we were talking before we started recording um with benjamin hill a little while ago that um at least out here and i know ben said for you guys it was like earlier this week at least out here the last couple of days have been gorgeous and the way i always envisioned the planet being swept by a pandemic i always just figured like oh it'll look like uh every post-apocalyptic movie that i've seen and the sun will never come out it'll always be gray and terrible it's been amazing here for the last few days yeah it's almost kind of insulting
1: uh, i mean a little bit uh here you a little
0: annoyed by it
1: yeah uh I don't know. I, as It's almost depressing enough to know, like, oh, we should be outside in parks and speaking with our neighbors. Don't do that. Keep your distance. Do all that kind of yeah. stuff. Stay safe. safe. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's nice that we are getting closer to actual feeling like spring. And I know that's baseball weather. Uh, but baseball will be coming back at, at some point this summer. And every day we get – uh, closer to the end of this scare and do all the right things and follow the right guidelines the closer we get to actual baseball so even if it's a blue sky day and you think this would be a great time to throw the ball around no you can't do that now but it is a day closer to
0: having that actually happen so with that we're going to dive into this week's episode of the show before the show three writers from MILB.com coming up to discuss uh, some of their best stories from the off season and Andrew i will get us started next This week we are going to dive into a uh, handful of stories from the site that are, uh, this is like our I-C-Y-M-I episode, I had to walk myself through that, you know like when we tweet stories from at M-I-L-B and it's in case you missed it, this is our in case you missed it episode and uh, we're going to dive into some of the top stories that we had on the site from the off season and this story uh, or this episode was sparked in my mind by this story that we're going to discuss first with our good pal, Andrew Bataferrano, who joins the show. Uh, Andrew, it's good to talk to you, buddy. How you doing? Good.
2: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I think this, like I kind of said to you guys earlier, this is a great idea. And uh, I'm just super excited to kind of be on.
0: Well, we're pumped to have you, and uh, this story is up on the site uh, right now. We'll be posting links to it and all that kind of stuff uh, because it was initially posted on the site on January 23rd. Uh, And if you are a Cincinnati Reds fan, undoubtedly you've already come across it. If not, this one appeals regardless because if you're a baseball fan and somebody who has uh, followed the minor leagues and followed player development in recent years, you've come across the name Kyle Bode. If you do not recognize the name Kyle Bode, you probably recognize his business, which is Driveline Baseball. Uh, And Kyle is now the pitching coordinator for the Cincinnati Reds, an organization that has some of the uh, most interesting young pitching talent in baseball, including guys like Hunter Green, uh, who are on the road back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, And there is so much depth to this story. And the thing that I thought was among the coolest elements of it when it came out is how excited the Reds seem to be to plug this story and uh, Andrew just kind of give us the the genesis of this idea um, how you came across it and and the start of investigating Kyle finally moving from just his driveline situation a business that he started about a decade or so ago uh, into a a full front office role
2: yeah kind of like everyone else had seen Kyle's name in so many different publications and features over the last couple of years read about him in the arm and was just always kind of fascinated by what he was doing out there and you know was kind of hoping that maybe one day he would kind of get into the minor league side and really into the player development side where we could kind of touch upon it and what do you know come october he's joining the reds and funny enough my kind of feeling on going into this was the really the reddit ama that he did which is super fascinating to me just how honest he really was with a lot of the responses that he gave to the questions that people were asking him and I was like huh I wonder if we could kind of go a little bit more in depth with you know kind of what he was saying there and just go through this whole process of how he decided to go there and what he really wants to do going forward and that's funny enough you know reddit really coming through with a a good idea there and (laughs) uh, you know kind of just went from there
1: and uh, one thing that stood out to me in this story is that you mentioned from the top that, according to, to Bodie, uh, he had 10 or 12 teams reaching out to him, trying to bring him in on the mm-hmm. the player development side. He eventually chose the Reds, but part of the Reds' interview process was, hey, touch on this prospect, this prospect. What would your plan be for this guy? Uh, and you even talked to Nick Lodolo uh their first round pick last year about working with the bode system the driveline system and and how that's going to kind of acquiesce into his first full season uh what talk about it from that aspect in terms of what the reds have in their pitching pipeline and how Bodie plans to take that group to the next level
2: yeah uh, kind of the, what you touched upon was just kind of the meeting where he met with them for the interview and just was kind of just impressed by what they brought forward in terms of what they're devoting to player development first off and just kind of the whole process of running it like he akined it to Microsoft, you know, a place where he used to work. He's seen the other side of it. Uh, and yeah, like you said, kind of in terms of, you know, the pitching side that they, they have and kind of going forward with it, obviously, Hunter Green coming, you know, back from Tommy John on the, you know, rehab side and Casey Weathers, who is a, you know, former drive line pitcher and, you know, had his own injury issues and he worked his way back, uh, you know, kind of the the perfect match to, you know, get Hunter back and going. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting to see where that'll go. And what uh, kind of stuck out to me, what Kyle said about Hunter was that he was just very devoted into learning kind of this analytical side and really just wanted to, you know, has the chance to change his mechanics, and he seemed really invested into doing that. Um, And it's just they really had this idea to bring in the numbers plus, you know, what they had, you know, previously before Kyle was there. And they, I don't know how much they got into it because spring training was cut a little bit short with, you know, everything that's going on. But they have this biomechanics lab down at Goodyear, and they really just wanted to get everybody on board with just – the whole process and it wasn't just the players themselves, but it was getting the coaches to understand what their jobs were to kind of relay list to the players. And I think it was just super fascinating to see the whole process of kind of putting it together and hopefully we'll see it in action, you know, over the next couple of months, couple of years.
0: One thing that was really interesting, Andrew, was the process of the interviews and the the hiring procedures for the Reds. And I think it would be mm-hmm. one thing if an organization just kind of at the the front office level decided well we don't really know uh, much about this guy but it seems like he's got results let's try to bring him in the reds i know kyle described in your story that he felt almost like the interview process was like what he went through when he worked at microsoft and that front office obviously has very much embraced the analytical movement they've got one of the largest analytics departments in baseball um it says a lot about the reds i feel that Kyle would be so open to working with them because of that. Tell us a little bit more about what he had to say with you know when he first got to interviewing with Cincinnati and the impression that that made on him.
2: Yeah, that uh, it was his last interview of the group that he decided to you know interview with during this process of deciding if he was going to you know go with, and work with the team, and just that they they brought just kind of a different mentality in terms like you know you mentioned it and I mentioned before just working like Microsoft and they gave him this itinerary to go off of and they're like hey you're gonna have to meet with the president of the organization you're gonna have to meet with the farm director and talk about macroeconomic scale of you know how you're going to work with an entire development system and it was just you have to impress all of these different people and these are you're gonna have to give you know good answers to everything that they're going to ask and you're really gonna have to shine and to him that really stuck out that like wow they're really devoted into uh you know this whole process and this kind of uh is what is going to entice me to come there. And, you know, sure enough, it was kind of a, a perfect match for, for both sides in terms of that. And uh, yeah, you know, Derek Johnson, he's a, a good friend with Kyle and just their coaching styles are pretty similar. Uh, so it was just kind of the perfect fit in terms of the analytical side and also just, you know, philosophical side.
1: And to kind of wrap on this, uh, I think, as we've mentioned throughout this interview here, is drivelines pretty well known at this point for getting results, getting guys to bump up their their velocity. I think Tucker Davidson, who we've had on the show this offseason, shortly after being on the show, threw 100 miles an hour at the Seattle uh, driveline facility. But what about their philosophy? What are they bringing to the table through Kyle now onto the Reds uh, that's allowed guys to take that next step, especially with velocity? You know, what what is their core philosophy or what is their core work that allows that to happen?
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think has gone mainstream for what maybe seemed to, you know, not be that way, maybe even a couple of years ago. And it's just gained kind of that, you know, that steam over the last couple of years, whether it's the weighted balls or using the edgertronic or the Soto, using this kind of different technology to get guys to the best of their abilities that they're able to reach. And, you You know, maybe they weren't able to reach that before, you know, they were able to use these different training methods. And I think the core of that kind of ties into, you know, what he wants to do with the Reds. And I think one of the things that he said, you know, talking to me and I put in the article was just that he wants to have a plan to get anyone to the major leagues. And, you know, he says... It's not always possible because not everyone is going to make it to the majors. But if we can lay the map, the roadmap for them to potentially get there, that's like what we can do. And it's I think it was just great that not every person or every player in the organization was just a number on a spreadsheet. Every person is a real person, and they have you know different abilities and different skill sets, and that's their plan to you know go forth with that and really develop an individualized plan for each player in the system and i think they took that from driveline and now he's going to take that with the reds and you know hopefully see what he can do with their pitching program
0: it is a great story that is up on the site right now. We will be uh, posting links to it and such once you hear this episode. We'll have them out, and uh, you can go read Andrew's story on uh, the Cincinnati Reds and Kyle Bodie. And uh, Andrew, stay safe and be healthy. And uh, we'll be checking in on some more stuff as our little weird extended off season continues. But uh, thanks a ton for giving us the time, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, you know appreciate you guys doing the full segment.
1: Continuing on this week's in case you missed it, theme. Uh, We're also joined right now by MILB.com's Michael Avalone. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to talk to you here about one story that I wish we could have talked about back in February when you wrote it uh, about Rob Whalen, now a Mets pitcher, uh, somebody who has overcome a lot to get back to the Mets this spring, uh, specifically when it comes to anxiety. This is a part of the game we don't get to talk about a lot. I was very grateful you wrote it for the site is one of our best pieces of the offseason. Um, but, yeah, first off, you know, welcome into the show, but also take us through this piece, reporting it, talking to Rob about not only coming back from anxiety but learning about himself and getting comfortable enough to get back onto a minor league mound
3: right well first off thanks for having me and uh yeah you know it, it was a very interesting piece to, to kind of research uh right and then you know talk to, to rob himself and hear his story in his own words uh you know i think it's it's very easy as, as ball players and fans of ball players, you know, even as you get older and realize these guys are human beings, not just some robot on a, a television, they have feelings, they have personalities and, and they go through things the rest of us go through. Just because they're, you know, so talented at a sport and, you know, a celebrity in a sense doesn't mean they're any different than, than the rest of us. And and, you know, unfortunately and fortunately for Rob, uh, you know, he kinda kinda had to go through it. Um, you know, one thing I did take out of it, talking with him, he was very eager to talk about it. I, I mean, I would ask a question and it would just kind of delve into other aspects of what I was looking for or what he wanted to talk about. He was very open, uh, held nothing back, um, wasn't ashamed uh, about any of the experiences he's gone through, which is a good thing because I think it's something that people uh you know, should not be ashamed about it. There's a stigma, I think, still maybe less so than there used to be, but a, a stigma of some sort that that kind of can latch on to to a professional athlete or anyone that is dealing with this type of thing, you know, and for him to be so open about it, I think it opens up a lot for other people that might be suffering through things that maybe are keeping it to themselves when in fact they should open up to others, whether it's a healthcare professional or loved ones or friends, to, to kind of get it off their chest and, and seek help.
0: Michael, this story is is so fascinating because we see it happen from time to time with athletes and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, mm-hmm. I think so many people view it as, oh, these are professional athletes. They're playing a game for a living. What could they possibly have to be, you know, whether it's uh, an anxiety issue as it was with Rob Whalen or somebody who gets the yips in a baseball sense or, uh, you right. know, those types of things. Um, when did this stuff all Start for Rob Whalen. I don't. It's not obviously as simple as just October sixteenth of twenty thirteen. He really started, but when did this really become a, a big issue for him? He grew up as a Mets fan. He's taken in the twelfth round by the Mets in twenty twelve. Starts climbing the ladder in that organization. Gets traded, but when did this all start affecting him as an athlete?
3: He said he was always kind of, uh, you know, kind of an introvert uh, overall, even as a youngster. But in terms of the anxiety issues, it didn't really hit him until 2016. That's when he said it really things kind of started to manifest and kind of snowball. He was traded from the Mets to Atlanta um, in 2015, halfway through the year. Um, the Mets were making their, you know, their push to the World Series that year, and he was part of a package that got the Mets Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson. The next year, in 2016, he actually had a, a very strong year, uh, but he was coming off of, uh, I think, knee surgery, and he just said, you know, some things just weren't feeling right, and, you know, even though his numbers were fine, he just kind of wasn't all there. You know, those were kind of some of the actual words he used, used for me. And, you know, after that season, he actually was traded again uh, to the Mariners, and from there, things just kind of, really went South. He, he kind of had shoulder fatigue and then that, you know, his numbers suffered in in 2017 with the Mariners. Um, You know, he made his major league debut with Atlanta in 2016. Uh, He pitched, you know, reasonably well, but in 2017, got back up to the majors, even though his numbers were not good. And it just kind of snowballed on him. He, he just kind of felt the world closing in around him. Um, You know, he would, he was seeking out some professional help through the Mariners organization, uh, to talk to some of their, you know, specialists about the way he was feeling, but it's something he just could not compartmentalize, and it just grew on him and grew on him, and began to affect him not only on the field but off the field as well.
0: This situation with athletes who deal with it, um, the, the really? Mariners, it's kind of interesting the fact that it happened in the Mariner system. Andy McKay, who's the director of player development on the Seattle side, uh, formerly with the Colorado Rockies, who had a player who pretty famously went through this, and Tyler Matzik. And he similarly, mm-hmm. I guess, to Rob uh, in this circumstance this year, looks like or looked like when spring training was going that maybe he was on a, a solid comeback trail. But, um, Michael, you paint this picture, and it's a, a heartbreaking one headed to spring training in 2019. Uh, He's getting set to go down to Arizona, report with the Mariners in Peoria, uh, and he said – This is a quote from the story, quote, my sister was going to take me to the airport and I just couldn't do it. I broke down and I couldn't go. I didn't want to go to camp and face everyone. The next thing I know, I'm calling Seattle to tell them I was retiring. And if you look now at the transactions list on his player page, it's kind of fascinating because it says March 5th, 5th, 2019, right-handed pitcher Rob Whalen retired. The very next transaction is January 27th, 2020, right-handed pitcher Rob Whalen assigned to Binghamton Rumble Ponies. To go from that moment in 2019 uh, through the calendar year of 2019, when he finally admitted, like, this is something that is bigger than me right now, what was that process like for Rob?
3: Uh, I mean, well, first off, it was much needed. And, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me that, again, it kind of goes back to us as fans or, you know, members of the media who, who, you know it, but you don't necessarily bring it to the forefront of your mind these guys live and breathe baseball. This is their job. Now, it's easy for us to say we have our jobs, but these guys are away from their family, they're away from things a lot of us take for granted. He mentioned last summer was his first summer basically being able to do things that most people do for the first time since he was a teenager before he started playing like American Legion ball and stuff, going to concerts, going to the beach, hang out with friends, having barbecues he needed to get his mind kind of back straight into a an area where he the off field needed to take care of itself before he could deal with the on field and i think having that year off going to regular sessions with a therapist to kind of discuss his feelings and just being able to kind of reset and kind of look at his life and enjoy facets of his life that he had forgotten that he was able to enjoy because as a ball player he couldn't i mean from you know, forget it. Uh, the spring training onward, his job is baseball every single day, minus a few day offs, you know here and there. The off season, obviously, they have regiments where they work out and they can do a little more. But his summer life, going to the beach again, concerts, that type of thing was gone For him to be able to kind of experience that again, get in touch with himself again, I think played a large part in his recovery. and obviously he felt towards the end of the calendar year two thousand and nineteen. He was in a good place. He started sending out feelers to teams about throwing for them to kind of see what type of nibbles he could get.
1: Yeah, and that kind of brings us to the point where I want to end on, and that, you know, we don't know what the ending of this story is, obviously, yet. Uh, he signed with the mm-hmm. Mets this offseason. The Mets were one of the teams he called, so it kind of comes full circle in that, you know, a guy who was drafted but- by the Mets in the 12th round, now back with the Mets. Uh, he's pitched a couple of times in spring training since you wrote this story, but how much mm-hmm. do you feel like it meant to him to know that the Mets, a team he according to your story rooted for growing up is the team that called back willing to take him on and seems willing to you know really lean on him and give him those opportunities uh now that he's done all that personal work to get back on the field
3: well i think it's very special for him i mean that's that's what i took from him and those are kind of the words he said to me basically i I mean i think coming back to baseball you know there's 30 major league teams he would have gone to any one of them i think but i think The team that drafted him, the team he uh, grew up rooting for, his parents were from, uh, you know, the Queens area here in New York. And um, I I think to him, it's kind of one of those things where it was a sign, so to speak, that we like to use that phrase, you know, meant to be. Uh, It it was coming full circle. Unfortunately, you know, the the recent events that everyone is going through has kind of put a a, uh, necessary hold on that. But um, you know, from talking to him, he was in a in a great frame of mind. He was excited. He was really thrilled to be back in Port St. Lucie, um, and it, it just kind of felt like he was coming home and uh, kind of getting a fresh start on his way uh, on his way back to the majors.
1: Mm. And we'll end on this. And this is the kind of closing quote of your story that I want to quote. And then I'm going to quote something else here in a moment. But w- the finishing quote you use is: "I made a promise to myself that if I came back, I would not let my anxiety define me." I owe it to myself. I've worked too long and too hard up to this point to see my career cut short at 24 or 25. I've got too much left in my tank. I reached the top of the mountain in 2016, and within two years, it was all gone. I'm determined to see that doesn't happen again. Whatever comes my way, I'm ready for it. And that's speaking to all the work that he's put in, speaking with a therapist, putting those tools in place. And that support system also dovetails into this other thing that I want to quote that I put into – our milb slack channel just today when i was kind of researching this story uh apparently just this week the sheriff of polk county florida reached out to Rob Whalen to say, hey, I read your story on minorleaguebaseball.com, MILB.com. Uh, it was a real positive story that can be used in the community. Thank you for sharing it. We're all behind you. We're all rooting for you. So getting Rob to tell his story, I think, is really important, not just for him, but for others out there who are going to see that. Um, and, and, yeah, thanks so much Michael for sharing it not only back in February but here on the podcast uh you know hopefully this is going to have an impact not only on Whalen's life but so many others beyond it
3: Bob uh, my pleasure and I appreciate it and you know that's one of the reasons I, I thought it was important story to tell and I think that's one of the reasons Rob was so open about it he wants to let others know hey this can happen to anyone and you know what don't keep it inside get the story out there and help uh, others who need it
0: And we go from talking about a Rob uh, in Rob Whalen to talking to a Rob in our very own Rob Terranova. Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? Good, good. I'm doing much better after that introduction. Thank you. It's it's a very Rob-centric show today. I want you to know. We're a very pro-Rob podcast. A Robcast. And I'm honored to be a part of it. Shouldn't have have made the dad joke. I'm not even a dad. Uh, Well, good. We're we're honored to have you, as always. And uh, before we get started this week, I just want to point out to people, Rob's family owns a bakery... And is it actually on Arthur Avenue in the Bronx? Like there's a very strong possibility that I have been into your family's bakery many times and had no idea. because my so my mom background, I don't live in New York, obviously, as listeners of the show know, but my mom, born and raised there, grew up in East Harlem. When we go out there for you know, Thanksgiving, all those types of things, we still, everything that my aunt buys generally comes from Arthur Avenue. So but have we just had like a lifelong connection that we never knew about? there's a really
4: strong chance uh it is it is on arthur avenue it is the arthur avenue section of the bronx so basically that neighborhood is actual arthur avenue and 187 street right so we are actually on 187 but the, the those two blocks that intersect are known as uh, the arthur avenue section of the bronx
0: are you across the street from that church that's over there not uh that about- church I just call it that church you know, that church. Yeah, that church- <laughs> Mount Carmel Church, one of the nicest churches in the world. Yes, yeah. It's incredible. Uh,
4: and uh we are we are on the next block for Mount Carmel.
0: I am like virtually positive. Anyway, well, we'll dissect. <laughs> we'll dissect after the show. Uh, but Rob is on to talk about one of his pieces from February, which is another one of uh, of our best stories of the off season as we continue rolling through on this. Uh, in case you missed it, episode of the show, uh, Rob profiled Rachel Folden, who was hired uh, by the Chicago Cubs back in November, and uh, a really fascinating story. She's a hitting instructor in the Cubs organization. Uh, you've probably seen if you followed um, you know anybody across the game really since. Uh, the close of last season videos of you know her taking swings or some of the instructional work that she's done, all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously. Same way we've profiled, you know, women who have been hired in broadcasting roles in recent years in the minor leagues, and uh, now the with Alyssa Nag and the San Francisco Giants have a uniformed major league coach uh, who is a woman for the first time in baseball history. This story is really cool because Rachel gets to add a hands-on element in terms of uh, being kind of a tutor in an organization uh, as a hitting instructor. Tell us about the the being able to uncover um, the elements of this story that you told. It's it's such a cool piece for the Cubs to add to this organization and also she's a really good hitting instructor and this seems like uh, just a great hire regardless
4: so basically the Cubs just went into this season thinking we need a facelift we, we want to kind of do an overhaul top to bottom uh, and it started with the hire of Justin Stone to take over their hitting and and bringing technology and all the newest uh, things that are available to players and scouts and everybody and Justin Stone, a close relationship uh, with Rachel Folden, uh, going back uh, a few years and talking to Justin, he said that the first person on his mind uh, to bring in for this was Rachel, who has a lot of experience with all this new technology and how to use this information and how to analyze this data that, that these new machines collect. And basically, they they brought her in for an interview. And everyone made it really clear this this, this wasn't a, a headline hire. This wasn't a you know we want to bring in a woman just to show we're being diverse this was absolutely a merit hire and her mm-hmm. credentials speak for themselves and basically uh, Rachel comes in and and she's the in charge of the new state-of-the-art Cubs hitting lab and just talking to her she was really great I asked her 10 minutes she spoke to me for a half hour and uh, she just kind of got into uh, what she does on the day-to-day which is a lot of work in the cages working with the younger guys trying to implement a new culture And and the one thing that really stood out about uh, what separates her from everyone else, what her focus is, is basically time. She said, if we can give a hitter more time to make a decision in the box, when a pitch is coming in, then that's the goal. You can make better decisions, even if it's a, a millisecond, any, any fraction of time that we can increase to a batter to make a decision on a pitch, that's the goal. And and that's what we're trying to do here. And everything was just really fascinating how she broke stuff down. And that's kind of their new philosophy, and that's what they're trying to do in Chicago now.
1: And before we get into... What all that time means. I just want to read off some of her credentials and what got her foot in the door with the Cubs here. She's in the Marshall University Softball Hall of Fame. Uh, she played in the National Pro Fast Pitch League from 2008 to 2012, coincidentally with the Chicago Bandits, so she knows the area pretty well. She was an assistant at Valparaiso University in 2009, and 2010, and she founded Fold and Fast Pitch, which was its own training facility working with baseball and softball players based around that technology and data. So, Obviously, the resume is there. But when you talk about time and getting hitters time, how does she identify where to find those milliseconds? Because it's easy to say, hey, we want you to be ready for the pitch a little quicker to determine whether it's a fastball and breaking ball. But how do you translate that into batting stances or hitting philosophies? What has she done to identify that?
4: Her two focuses, she said right now, are strength and conditioning as well as swing mechanics. It's, it's making sure guys are in the best shape that they can be uh, to make sure that their bodies are responding properly, uh, as well as maximizing the efficiency of swing mechanics. So she said if, if we can make sure everyone's body is moving properly, then that does increase the efficiency and that does help maximize uh, a hitter's time. And uh, the, the one point that she brought up, and, and she said this to me a few times, was Velocity. Pitchers' velocities are at an all-time high. She said, you know, this is why guys are are getting going up there to the plate and they're just getting blown away by these pitches. So it's it's basically the evolution of the hitter. So she said, we've seen the evolution of the pitcher to this point now. Triple digits, which used to be so rare, is almost now the bottom line. You want to be an effective reliever, the bottom line is triple digits. Uh, so now it's about adapting to that out of the hitter uh, so that guys aren't getting blown away anymore. And and again, that goes back to just maximizing the efficiency of swing mechanics.
0: Rob, from from her perspective um, Rachel played professionally and has gone through the the rigors of, of what it's like to be a pro ball player uh, in the national pro fast pitch league and um, but I I've gotten an impression a lot from I've covered uh, a few baseball women's baseball World Cups now and there is a, a strong culture of girls and women who grow up playing uh, baseball at a young age and then get forced into softball because that's a bizarre double standard in the sports world world, their love is always baseball. There are so many of those athletes who go on to do amazing things in softball, but still have always held on to that love for baseball. For for Rachel growing up and uh, and having gone on to be an incredible softball player, did you get the impression that she had kind of always been a baseball first person who just didn't really have that route available to her? Because it's it's so cool now seeing the way Major League Baseball, with the Pathfinder series and other things, is starting to encourage more uh, of girls and women's participation in baseball. And we have these luminaries now that are stepping forward with her and Rachel Balkovic and, uh, and Justine Siegel and people that we talked to on the show there is so much of that love uh on that side for the game of baseball does she strike you that way too
4: definitely she actually described baseball as her first love she told me she grew up playing little league and like many girls as they come through little league they're they're the word she was pushed they're pushed into softball and she embraced softball she loves softball but she still refers to baseball as her first love and it was for her. She said it was a dream come true so to return to her first love and return to baseball and get into cages with baseball players. And she and, and she still does instruction for softball as well. But she said that her her love and and her passion was always with baseball. And she and I actually asked her. I said, in in ten years, where do you hope this job brings you? She said, honestly, as long as I'm still in a batting cage with baseball players, I don't care where it brings me. I just want to be in a cage. That's where I'm happiest. That's where I want to be. So she's, she's also hoping to, to be an example for those girls who are pushed towards softball, which is to say you don't have to stay there or maybe hopefully one day you don't even have to go that route. You can stick with baseball the whole time. And, and as far as going back to your question, that was always on her mind and that definitely applies to her as, as far as just having that, that love for the game and, and pursuing it.
1: And one last aspect of this job that I want to touch on that you touched on in your piece is just getting to know players on a personal level, trying to meet them where they are. You know, it's one thing to be able to talk shop in the cage and talk about lodge angle or talk about getting ready at the plate and finding those milliseconds, but it's another to know their situation. And uh, Rachel Folden speaks about this in the piece in terms of, you know, she was somebody trying to get noticed in college and then playing the the fast pitch uh, circuit as a pro it, it, for not much money, kind of like what minor leaguers are going through these days. Uh, how does she plan to now that she's going into this job for the for the first season, whenever that season begins? Try to you know interact with these guys on the personal level and make those connections.
4: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And one, so what set that up was the question I asked her was if she feels like there's any disadvantage going into this you know quote-unquote man game as a woman uh and she said not at all she said because the second i start talking to these guys they know i can relate to them they know that i understand what they're going through because it's what i went through and and she talked about trying to play softball professionally kind of like what you just said as far as trying to play this game and, and not having a lot of money and and not getting paid a lot of money and then just as far as what I said earlier she's like I know what it's like to get get into a box and, and look silly I know what it's like to get fooled by a pitch I know what it's like to get blown up by someone throwing really hard so all these experiences that these younger players are going through I can relate to and it's something that our, I can portray and they appreciate so it really helps me connect with them and it's something that she's really using to her advantage it's it's the best way to get anyone's attention really once you can relate to someone's uh, hard hardships like that so she's definitely gone into this uh, with the right approach, with the right mentality, and she's making the most of the opportunity. I was really, I have to say, was it 30 minutes of talking to her, I just came away really blown away, just as far as uh, how she's uh, attacking this and and just how she's so level-headed. There's no, there's no I, uh, any talk at all about you know wrong chips or, or or attention. It's it's literally I, I don't want to talk about being a woman in the sport. Like I just want this conversation to be about, you know, what we're doing and how we're getting better. And I hope sooner than later this just becomes normal. And she's like, I just want to be a coach, not necessarily, you know, the female coach. And it's great. Dude, and uh, it dude, looks like the Cubs really set themselves up here for success.
0: Two things about this, uh one, my entire career was being like blown up by uh better pitchers. So I definitely understand <laughs> that too. Uh and two, one thing that I think is really, really cool is the so much of the the hand wringing and the the idiotic, oh woman in baseball, that can't be done, blah, blah, blah is from uh a segment in an age group in society that is aging out. And I think it's really neat really. how athletes of this era and um as much as it pains me to say it, you can't even really say the millennial era because the athletes who are coming into professional sports are not millennials. Millennials are already like in their mid to late 20s and uh, late 30s now. Uh, so it's the Gen Z right. era. They're all so open to being coached by whoever is going to make them best. If you were to go into the Cubs organization and talk to 100 guys who have already gotten a chance to work with Rachel, 100% of them would say, yeah, she's really good at what she does. And I think that's really cool about where we are in sports that so we've seen. Obviously, the NBA kind kind of led the way with this with uh, women who were in uh, officiating and then on coaching staffs and that type of stuff all the way back in the 90s. And uh, now as the NHL and the National Football League and Major League Baseball have gotten into it as well. um, It's so awesome to me to see how the athletes embrace this because they don't care who you are. If you've got a chance to make them better and get them to the big leagues, that's what they care about. And that's what I think is so neat about these stories.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also – for part of that story, I had a chance to talk to the Cubs senior director of player development, Matt Dory, and he he really summed it up uh, with one sentence. He said, look, as an organization, we have a responsibility to give every single person here the best chance to succeed, and bringing Rachel aboard uh, helps that happen. That's part of that process. That gives everyone the best chance to succeed, and that's kind of where they're at, and uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It, it definitely appears that way.
0: It is very cool stuff and a great story that is up on the site. It uh, went up on February 19th, and again, like with the others, we will be uh, posting it. So if you have not yet checked the social medias upon listening to the show, you can do that. We'll have links to the stories up everywhere. And, uh, Rob, big thanks, as always, for joining us, buddy. And uh, be safe, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you about the next great piece that you come out with soon. No pressure.
4: Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Stay safe out there.
0: Minor league teams from coast to coast are uh, continuing to flex their uh, legendary creative muscle as we get uh, closer and closer to what would have been the start of the 2020 minor league baseball season. And Benjamin Hill, who covers all things business of minor league baseball joins the show. I, uh, a little while ago, Sam, Sam, sent a message the three of us have a group chat on slack uh at work and uh sam sent a message to ben that said hey are you still going to record in about five minutes and i had a brief flash through my mind it was like why is sam messaging ben don't they sit next to each other and then i remembered oh right it's we live uh in cormac mccarthy's the road now hi ben hi tyler and hello sam who was not sitting next to me but you know there's
5: still a great proximity between me and sam we are both in the borough of brooklyn um if you had to guess which you know, I, side
0: of you is he sitting on right now with a vague idea of where uh, sam ooh. is uh, uh,
1: sam dykster i believe is to my left okay where, where are you <laughs> facing ben are you facing north right now <laughs> i'm trying to figure that out <laughs> in general uh, yes i am to the west of you so i am to the left but <laughs> this where is are you content. facing
5: yeah I'm facing, a picture for me on-
1: <laughs> I live on Beverly Road, and
5: I'm facing towards Cortellu. And to my left is like the numbers going up, and I'm between 16th and 17th. I'm pretty sure you are to my left.
0: Okay, but I'm way yeah, to well, both of your lefts. I'm, I'm yeah, you are way, very I'm far, way far, way far out there uh comparatively um but uh with that let's dive in and uh and discuss some things that ben is already um working on and writing up and uh putting together for the site um ben it is the weirdest time that any of us have ever experienced obviously uh in our lives in minor league baseball I think thrives on the weird in a lot of ways and front offices do that especially and uh, this has been a fascinating albeit brief case study into how teams are already trying to adapt themselves to this reality of where we are um, but there are some teams across the country some front offices uh, and some staffs that are already doing some really innovative really creative really cool things and I know you've been in conversations with a lot of them what uh, give us kind of the the lowdown on what you've been hearing from teams and, and how They're starting to get themselves adapted and motoring in this?
5: Yeah, you know, when we talked last week, uh, I think the industry as well as us personally were figuring things out. And uh, this week has been great just to kind of get, you know, settled. And, you know, I, I think not just me, but yeah, people who work in minor league baseball, we're all adjusting to this new reality, and and people who work in minor league baseball, for the most part, of course, are now working from home, doing the same things a lot of people are doing, you know, uh, you know, Slack chats, Slack chats, and Zoom conferences and whatnot. Uh, you know, I've talked to quite a bit of people, you know, who work in minor league baseball throughout the throughout the week. You know, most of it just kind of off the record, checking in, just trying to get the, the lay of the land, kind of thing. Uh, you know, a very common sentiment is, you know. Uh, hey, we're just doing things on the fly. But, you know, there's that kind of positivity in a sense. I mean, I know there's a lot of emotions right now, but positivity and like, look, in this industry, so much is doing things on the fly. So much is uh, adjusting to circumstances beyond your control. So I do think there's a little bit more of a mental, um, you know, willingness to be like, whoa, this is something we weren't expecting. And it's mm-hmm. way beyond anything we've experienced. Um, and it doesn't, it's not the same thing as, uh, you know, a between-inning promo going wrong or anything like that. But I think there's this larger uh, kind of uh, you know, psychological approach in minor league baseball of being like, whoop, didn't expect that to happen, uh, that does maybe lend that spirit to what's going on now. I'm like, whoop, we just got to make it up as we go along. Uh, so I'm actually working on a story right now it's more of like a big roundup of just things I uh you know have tweeted about talked to people about throughout the week it's just kind of things that teams are doing right now as uh they try to think of like well you know what can we do for our communities what can we do to just distract people online uh that sort of thing so um you can check out the story on uh, of course milb.com thursday tomorrow when the podcast drops uh but you know it's all over the place like um I think we might have mentioned this last week, but you know, teams are playing um, some of their canceled games, you know, via MLB The Show 20, um, you know, that has minor league rosters. So teams like Binghamton Rumble Ponies are going to play out the entirety of their season. Uh, we had a three-game exhibition between uh, Lehigh Valley and El Paso that was streamed live on twitch last week um so i think we're gonna i think reno and omaha are playing tonight (laughs) wednesday night uh in a uh, mlb the show 20 game um you know maybe not a substitute for the real thing but uh i think something we'll continue to see more of as teams try to get creative kind of simulating the season and you know being creative with it you know editing together a highlight package from their virtual game you know having their announcer narrate some of the action or narrate the highlight package uh you know that kind of thing um I think one team that's been really interesting in the early going, um, you know Pensacola Blue Wahoos, um, you know they back on March thirteenth, they announced that they are uh, they had set up a twenty five thousand dollars relief fund for their seasonal you know game day employees who are affected by the season starting late. Uh, so it was a really cool initiative to hear about. And another thing they ended up doing this week, is they launched a uh, to-go ballpark drive-through um, where they offered, you know, one, you know, big like family meals um, that are available at a discount rate um, and also, you know, a lot of ballpark specialties, you know, the crab mac and cheese dog and whatnot. So you can actually call the ballpark and then have curbside pickup and, you know, have them bring it out to you and, you know, have the minor league baseball stadium as a, as a food option at a time when maybe there aren't, you know, a lot of options available. Uh, so that's another good one and you know on and on it goes i've probably got like 10 or 12 examples in the story i'm working on still compiling some of these things i might focus on later with full articles uh but right now i think it's uh, kind of just like everyone else kind of a big picture trying to make sense of it all kind of thing
1: Mm. and as you focus more on the micro level stuff and checking in with teams and and seeing what they're doing so much of what minor league baseball is is borrowing stories borrowing promos uh taking something you see work in california and instituting it in north carolina what have you uh so in what you've seen so far what do you feel like is something that a club is doing that is most replicable that every team could be doing right now uh to help fans get through this or to help game day workers get through this what have you uh what what do you what do you think could be done by basically any minor league team
4: well, I don't
5: know if there's anything applicable across the board, but I think both the things I just talked about, you know, whether it's playing MLB the show, I mean, um, I think we'll see a lot more of that. I, I think uh, maybe more ballpark drive-throughs, uh, that kind of thing. Um, i seen a lot of teams doing things. And I think we'll continue to see more teams doing things in relation to, um, you know, kids are working from home, working, you know, uh, learning remotely. Um, and obviously a lot of early season games are like the Education Day games, you know, when when kids uh, from all over the area come with their schools and the school buses. And, you know, a lot of those games. Um, you know, the teachers are provided with curriculum developed for going to a minor league baseball game. So we've seen teams adapting some of that curriculum, putting it online, trying to make their education day curriculum available. Uh, We've seen education stuff like uh, Columbia Fireflies uh, creating a reading program that has incentives and prizes, you know, related to at ballpark things like tickets. Um, I think that's something we're seeing a lot of and continue to see more of is sort of engaging with kids, you know, even as something as simple as, you know, people, you know, having like, uh, you know, creating color, the teams creating coloring books or word searches or, you know, anything that can kind of uh, serve as a diversion for the kids. Um, so it's really all over the place. So I think we'll see a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, A lot remains to be seen, so it's uh, just kind of making it up as as we go along, but uh, I think a lot of things I'm writing about in this story uh, already have been or will be adapted by some other teams, and some might be just one team that had an idea, and that's it, you know, like the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Um, you know they're selling things online their team stores open online like most team stores and uh, they they have an offer of you get a free roll of toilet paper for every order of thirty dollars or more just a goofy little thing but that's the minor league spirit uh, you know trying to have a little fun at a time when it's it's hard to have fun and who knows you know how did they get their toilet paper you know to, enough <laughs> to uh, give it to fans but it's and do you think it's gonna be one of those things.
0: giant rolls that they put like in the stadium bathroom toilets like that to me would be hilarious they ship out one of those that's like the size of an old record
5: <laughs> yeah it might it might be <laughs> yeah one of those yeah one of those huge ones that yeah. goes in the
0: big like, circular can't put this in my house
5: yeah, but, you know, for shipping costs, I'd imagine it wouldn't yeah, be right. that. I think, they, right. I think they probably have a non-stadium toilet supply <laughs> of toilet paper. But remind me to check in and get the specifics on that. You know, these are the important questions journalists need to ask during these times is, hey, you're giving away toilet paper. What kind of toilet paper is that, and where did you
0: get it? <laughs> Ben, what else is so great is, uh, you know, we talk about this in normal seasons, obviously, about how teams generally are um, very adept at seeing what works in other markets and and utilizing the strengths of those things and kind of molding them to to what they need. And it's neat because even in just a couple of front office employees that I've talked with uh, over the last week, you can tell that everybody has an eye on what everybody else is doing and not in a, a competitive sense but in a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of sense. I mean, what what's the the attitude that you've gotten from obviously there's so much uncertainty everywhere in the world right now, so I know a lot of that comes through, but it seems like right now front office staffers across the miners are alright, let's put our heads down and figure out a way to do our part rather than woe is us. What, what, what sense have you gotten from them with that
5: yeah i mean i think that's generally a minor league baseball approach is you know of course they have internal anxieties like like just about anyone and you know it's it's a lot of hardship within the industry right now but i think obviously you're gonna have a forward facing community first approach and you know i think we'll be seeing more you know industry-wide initiatives start to develop and also the same way that you know people are using zoom and slack and, and everything to work from home that doesn't just mean uh teams who just um you know, you know Zoom or Slack for a specific team. I think you see people you know through throughout the industry are 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 getting together in that way right now, you know sharing ideas you know from team to team or creating small groups or maybe you used to work for one team, and you know people. I think you see a lot of uh, well, I don't think I know you see a lot of informal, Uh, groups such as that that are that are creating ideas together feeding off each other saying hey why don't you do this and why don't we try this Um, so I think there's a lot of collaboration probably more collaboration than you'd think given how isolated everyone is but this is a very uh, an industry that's very together I mean especially um, when you're younger and starting out in the industry you usually end up working for you know from going from team to team to team where the opportunities are people get to know one another very well um As much as there are 160 teams and a lot of people working for these teams, you know, if you go to an industry event, you go to the winter meetings, or even more so the promo seminar, or now the Innovator Summit, which is just a minor league event, uh, it becomes apparent how many people know each other and how quickly you can get to know the rest of the industry. So I think a lot of connections that have already been forged are at play right now in coming up with ideas, not just for individual teams, but that'll work across the industry. And I fully expect to see a lot more of that in the coming weeks, um, you know, as we all figure this out.
0: Benjamin Hill on Twitter at Ben's Biz and uh, all of his stuff, of course, is up on the site as well and uh, continuing, like all of us, to evolve uh, with everything, with the content that's coming and uh, the stories from across the minors and front offices and all that type of stuff. And, uh, Ben, be safe and be healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, buddy.
5: Yeah, and I forgot one thing. that yeah. Last week we didn't really plan it, but we ended up having an impromptu you know, conversation about baseball movies, and that was – Uh, that whole thing was started because you asked. You thought I'd already watched the Sandlot. And uh, I said, Tyler, no, I said, I'd finally planned to watch the Sandlot. I still have not watched the Sandlot, (laughs) but I'm going to watch the Sandlot tomorrow. Today. If you're listening to this podcast, March 26th, 8 PM Eastern time. And I will live tweet the Sandlot Thursday night at eight on what would have been mlb opening day and uh, then finally i can put this whole ben's never seen the sandlot thing behind me desperate times call for desperate measures
0: that is fantastic good work uh and we will all be waiting with bated breath whatever that means for uh the sandlot reaction i'm excited
5: thank you thank you i'm just trying to give people something to get excited about and these very non-exciting ho-hum
0: times thanks ben thank you guys The wind was picking up, so I moved inside. So we're not going to do an entirely outdoor episode of the show before the show. But, hey, it's pretty close. Now it's I'm in the kitchen, so you're going to hear me echoing.
1: I was going to say, yeah, now all of a sudden you're in a small cave, which it's glad. <laughs> it's more echoey. I'm glad you sought shelter, but, uh, you know, just be safe inside yeah. your home, too.
0: You know, try to do these things. Um, just a couple of uh, items of note. Uh, we've all got... Uh, some new stuff coming to the site. Um, it's kind of, I don't want to say fun, because I would so much rather just have the world you know, be normal at the moment. But um, what this sort of reminds me of at this stage is, remember like, I don't know, maybe almost 15 years ago, there was a writer's strike in Hollywood, New York where uh you know sitcoms and late night shows and all that uh all of a sudden did not have the services of their writers due to the writer strike and uh the talent on shows like the late night shows they didn't want to you know cross the picket line and uh and go hire new writers who were not uh involved in that strike so they just kind of did their own thing without writers for a while sort of what this reminds me of and it's also just a way for me to you know try to feel like it's not life and death. But like, I remember as I've probably said on this show many times before, one of my heroes uh, in the world is Conan O'Brien. And I remember every night they would have to try to do just more and more creative things because they did not have their writers around. And one of Conan's things was he would take off his wedding ring and put it uh, standing up on its side on his desk and flick it and see how long he could get it to spin. And they would time it every night. And that's sort of what this all feels like. Like we're just trying to figure it out as we go. Yeah,
1: and we're doing We're, we're, we're going to do some stuff on the site and on this podcast, obviously, that's kind of not akin to spinning your wedding ring on the table, but um, just different things that we wouldn't be doing in late March because we'd be talking about Grapefruit League and cactus league stuff right now and where guys are getting assigned. And, um, you know, I, I started a series this week of it's, the topic to juror on baseball t- Twitter for a while was just like, hey, build a lineup based on these parameters, build a lineup of your favorite players, the best lineup at whatever. So the one I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks is based on age. We did one on teenagers this week. Every player in the lineup would be a teenage prospect. Um, Building that, that's going to be kind of fun. We had a story run today that i think and i hope at some point we're going to turn into a podcast about minor league memories uh all members of the milb.com staff shared their favorite minor league memories just because we shared one in this story uh doesn't mean that we all don't have dozens more that we could go to uh we you heard us last week talk to christian robinson about that we could talk to everybody on this podcast about their favorite minor league memory so keep it Keep them peeled and keep your ears out for this podcast. We'll hopefully have an episode of something like that in the future. Uh, Yeah, we're just going to be flexing different muscles here in the coming weeks. And that's a good thing. Uh, And this episode is certainly a part of
0: that. And, uh, yeah, get in touch, um, you know, if there's something you want us to discuss. We got some really uh, great emails, just some thoughtful stuff, emails and tweets and things uh, from people since we recorded last week. And, um, you know, even just right now being stuck in a a situation, we had a a moment on Twitter last week where uh, I was uh, listening to one thing, if you are unaware of. There are a lot of old-time baseball broadcasts on YouTube, Uh, and I mean old-time. Like, there are old Brooklyn Dodgers radio broadcasts that you can find on YouTube, and I was listening to one uh, last week and tweeted about how sometimes I think about in a a different reality you know according to string theory there are infinite realities that exist uh all simultaneously so right now we could be having this same conversation in a planet where the sky is purple i don't think that's actually how string theory works but it's how i imagine (laughs) it works um but i imagine in a different reality where the dodgers never left brooklyn and uh they kept ebbets field the way the red sox still exist in Fenway and the Cubs still inhabit Wrigley. I wonder what it would look like in 2020. And Sam responded to that with one of my favorite things, which is your home Wi-Fi network is called Ebbets Field Press Box. I love that.
1: Yeah. When I first moved in here, I was trying to think of like a good Wi-Fi name just to get the neighbors like confused or some you know when you look up your own wi-fi there's every neighbor you have um you know fbi is a popular one stuff like that but i was like i live in brooklyn i'm about a mile away from ebbetsfield where ebbetsfield used to be uh wouldn't it be cool to tack on to the wi-fi network of the ebbetsfield press box in the way that i do for Press boxes all over the country and, and whenever I'm covering baseball. And I hope somebody in the Windsor Terrace neighborhood at some point tries to log on and is just like, wait a second, is the ghost of the Press wait Box Wi-Fi? <laughs> the
0: 19, mid-1950s Press Box Wi-Fi is still yeah. uh, still hanging around. How do you think Vince um, Scully
1: got his voice out there? It was the exactly. uh, Ebbets Field Press exactly, Box yeah.
0: Wi-Fi. He was connected over an access unit. Uh, he had his, his little Comrex with a uh, uh, direct hookup with... Uh, the ethernet cord no was that not that wasn't actually that one. it sounds Sorry, right to
1: everyone. me i don't <laughs> um
0: but you know it's uh we're all trying to smile and, and make it through every day and um we love and care about all of you of course uh for tuning in you have our endless thanks and uh get in touch whenever you would like uh podcast at com, and uh sam on twitter at sam dr milb. i am at tyler mon and uh with that we will say goodbye for this week's episode. Big thanks to everybody who joined us uh, from the site. You can check out the stories that are up on the site right now and uh, get in touch. Let us know what you would like us to, to discuss. And obviously, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming your way. And uh, we'll we'll hang in and we'll all get through it together, separately and responsibly, socially distance wise, but also together. And uh, For Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>